Kelly. And I'm Allie. <laughs> About, About time for true crime. Hey. Hello. We are laughing. We are a little bit jittery with the Halloween sugar. Oh my gosh. Um, at the time that we're recording this, this is the day after Halloween and I did not get as many trick-or-treaters as I was anticipating and so I have way too much candy and left. my blood sugar is way higher than I was anticipating. So We started the night off with a lot of people and then one of our neighbors had this wicked scary like mask thing going on i think she was like Ugh. pretending to like be a statue and then when they'd go to grab the candy she'd like jump out at them no so then all of a sudden it was like all the kids were just running and screaming in the other direction away from us <laughs> and i was like but i have so much candy to give you <laughs> there were so many like cute little kids and they were like thank you and they take one i was like no buddy here's a handful yeah this is your candy it's like i want your bag to be dragging on the floor my guy take it like i want a seven pound candy roundup from yes. halloween and i think i got one and i didn't go trick-or-treating <laughs> i just went to your house so. <laughs> Well, you're going to be taking some home with you. Fuck. That's my parting gift to you. It's okay. It'll be for the kids. Yes. Yes. Um, for the children. Goodness knows I do not need all of that sugar in my body. I'm already on like so many cups of coffee and Adderall. Like I don't need that. I know. Like you shouldn't. This is irresponsible. This is irresponsible, <laughs> but I'm doing it anyway. Here we are. Um, but hey, I hope you all had a really fun Halloween weekend. Um, what did you guys do? What'd you dress up as? Did you go to another neighborhood to trick-or-treat? Or are you like, mm, I'm 30? <laughs> so I went trick-or-treating in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I went to the best neighborhood with all the full-size bars. Yes. <laughs> I could drive to the houses that have the king size. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Later. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys have any funny costumes? Um, oh, my God. Can you send us pictures? I know it's late now by oh. the time you're hearing this, but Ooh, I live for it. Spoopy Pod Pets Edition. Show us your pets in their costumes. Shut the fuck up. That's such a good idea. I love I that. cannot wait. Please show us. Please show the... Oh. oh, that makes my heart happy. Newton went as the butler from Clue. <laughs> because I can fully only get something around his collar. So it was just a little bow tie. But um, he didn't do as well as Tim Curry. I mean, who could? But he did put I won't, in I won't his tell suggestion <laughs> of... It was Newton in the kitchen with his teeth. So, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Mia just went as the really cute cat that doesn't like when people come over under the bed. Fair, fair. Um, And so that's what she did when people came to the door. I love that little monster under the bed. Yes, but mm-hmm. now we're like debuting into like my favorite time of year. Yay. I think Michael Buble is probably defrosting right now. Ooh, so is Mariah Carey. Oh, my goodness. It is like peak music it's like the only time i want to listen to the radio yeah michael Bublé's voice like if he could just sing me to sleep every night every night but like rub my back too like don't be that guy you know don't I be know. weird yeah and then tell him all the way asleep please don't stop like five minutes early. i know and don't be like checking your phone i see you no don't do that Mm-mm. i see the lights keeping me up i don't like a blue light in my room when i'm trying to sleep I'm michael not down with that seriously michael i know you're good at multitasking but seriously knock it off And in the spirit of giving, we have a very exciting announcement to make for you, but you're going to have to wait until the end of the episode for that. Uh So the other announcements we have are true crime announcements. And at the time that you guys are hearing this again, of course, it's it's been a week. But if you haven't heard about it, you're going to hear it now. 
two pretty major developments have been made in the true crime world. Very exciting. Very big. We're very excited to announce that um, the Delphi murders have... At least there's been there's a suspect who's been arrested now at the time that you hear this. Um, yes. The investigation is private. It's ongoing. Um, no court documents are available to the public. Once we get them, we will share them with you if we can see them. But if you're unaware of this case, in 2017, two teenage girls, their names were Abigail Williams and Liberty German. They went by mm-hmm. Abby and Libby. Um, Abigail was 13 and Liberty was 14. They went on a little hike. I think one of their dads dropped them off and mm-hmm. they went to the Delphi Historic Trails, I think is what it was called. And uh, when it was time for them to be picked up, they didn't show. So they went in, they didn't come out. And then oh. the next day their bodies were found. And all that was really there for evidence was this very grainy, blurry photo of a man and a very muffled hard to make out like video like a sound recording yes um where it was really hard to determine what the voice was saying but it sounded like a male and that was it that was all they had and it's five years now and so now someone's been arrested uh richard m allen was arrested he's a resident of that area too he was 50 years old and i did read something and i'm i'm gonna fact check this so i won't say that it's like entirely real but I believe he worked at a pharmacy. And when the families were printing out the photos for the services, um, mm-hmm. they had it printed there and they went to pick them up. And apparently it's rumored that he was the person who was like printing the photos oh. and gave them to them like at no charge. Holy. Because yeah. I guess one of the family members like recognized him and was like, you were awfully nice to us afterwards. Yeah. So it, that could just be a rumor. But I want to, like, shed light on the fact that at the very least we know that he was from their area. Right. And that he's in custody now. Although, of course, we don't know a whole lot about that yet. But we will keep you updated. Yes. And then number two. The second update today is you may have heard of the Lady of the Dunes. Um, This was uh, in July of 1974. A woman was found mutilated and murdered. Um, on a beach in P-Town, Massachusetts, Provincetown, for those of you who are not from New England. Um, and they couldn't identify her. And so actually, by using investigative genealogy, which we've talked about on this podcast before, yes, they were we able have. to identify her as 37-year-old Ruth Marie Terry, who was from Tennessee. Holy moly. So, you know, it's a really great first step in providing some closure to loved ones. Um, to at least putting that to rest. I think it was the oldest case of um, an unidentified body in Massachusetts, but also wow. a step closer to hopefully figuring out who did this to her. I love technology for all of the flaws it comes with. I love technology. Well, it's been 50 years. It's like, my good God. Like, she deserves that, at least, you know? Yeah, and, and it was really just this sort of, like, ominous tale of, oh, the lady in the dunes, you know, found in Cape Cod, and there's that whole um, Jaws thing mm-hmm. where, okay, was that part of it, and is this who she is? And there was a whole thing there, which would be interesting to get into someday. I think we should. Um, but I did just want to highlight that those are the so, true crime updates today. What's her name? Just one more time. Her name is Ruth Marie Terry. Ruth Marie Terry. I just wanted to say it a few more times because I feel like she's been talked about enough without using it. So I know. So I think we can put to rest the other name. 
Yes. And actually refer to her as who she is. She was only 37. I mean, she was young. Yeah. So. All right. Well, yay for true crime news. We'll keep you guys updated with obviously anything else. We hear about these, but um, very exciting because both of these, you know, unsolved cases. One's five years old. The other one's like 50. So just very exciting in the, the world of true crime. And and the advancements of technology and evidence detection and testing how, and yes. genealogy and all that stuff. It's so interesting how many different fields come into play with criminal justice just because there are so many different places and situations that crimes happen. Oh, yeah. I think it's fascinating. There's overlap in like every other service. But yeah, no, it's true. Um, but I want to talk about a really bad case this week. So Oh, you really just... We're just diving yeah, right in there. I'm really sorry. I don't know. I just want to give you like a heads up because it pretty much sucks. You I'm look like, so apologetic. You're like, I'm really sorry. This is <laughs> low. Um, well, my dear friend Randall recommended it. Hi, Randall. Uh, hey. Um, how you doing, boo? Hoping everything's good. Anyway, when we asked about cases that you guys were all interested in, he said that there had been a serial killer in Atlanta, Georgia that he had heard about. So I wanted to talk about that today so the individual that i'm talking about today has been called atlanta's Dahmer, but oh my yes oh shit it's it's bad bad is more frequently known as the handcuff man and i'll say i think oh. At- atlanta's Dahmer is a little intense but there actually were quite a few serial killers in atlanta um in the 90s like late 90s obviously but um I, I wasn't sure exactly which one he was talking about, so I hope I do this justice, but also, yikes at Atlanta. Like, y- y'all have a lot of serial killers. Sheesh. Yes. Um, and many that fit the Google description, queer serial killer, Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> oh, my Terrifying. God. Terrifying. <laughs> but, nonetheless, so today we're going to get in to the handcuff man. This sounds horrible. Tell me everything. It's heinous. So... We're going to start talking about Robert Lee Bennett. Robert Lee Bennett. Junior. Junior. I believe he was born in 1947. Mm-hmm. I do not have a date of birth. I don't have a birthday. And nobody that I know of also has one. I've looked in a lot of different articles for this. So no one's been able to figure out. Correct. But I do think I figured out 47 because he was graduating high school in what I think was 1964 or 1965. So I did some math there. 18 and gotcha. Right. But just you all know, I came up with that. That wasn't like put out there for me. So at 22 months old, we have nothing on his life for the first 22 months. But at 22 months old, Robert was adopted by Robert Lee Bennett Sr. and his wife, Annabelle Bennett. Which, by the way, is like my favorite name ever. Annabelle? Yes. And if I could have like named myself, I think I would have picked Annabelle. Like, I love that name. Now, would you be Anna or Bella? Um, I think it'd be Annabelle. Like, just Annabelle? Just Annabelle. I like it a lot. It's cute. Well, all right, then. It reminds me. Okay, this is so weird. But in my head, Annabelle just reminds me of like a makeup look that's very cute and glowy and blushy. Like a doll? Mm-mm. No, because it's not like porcelain like wait like the annabelle doll like you know you know what i'm talking about yes i do know what you're talking about but no not like that just i think it's cute anyway totally just shat on that i didn't even mean to just (laughs) saying okay anyway so her name was annabelle anyway (laughs) 
Annabelle was a homemaker and it sounds like a stay at home mom. Okay. Uh, Robert Lee Sr. was an attorney who, at the time of Bobby's adoption, was the president of the Citizen and Northern Bank in Pennsylvania. Okay. So they were in Pennsylvania during um, Robert Lee Bennett Jr.'s childhood. Annabelle, his mom, volunteered for the Red Cross and Robert Lee Sr. raised money for the Boy Scouts and they traveled for fun. And in, you know, between the 1940s and 1960s, like, you kind of had to have some privilege to be able to do that. I mean, you still do, but they definitely were at the higher end of the economic spectrum. So, and it was just like a cute little family, you know what I mean? They all had passions that they volunteered for. They were involved in extracurriculars. Um, Bobby's childhood genuinely seemed kind of like warm and nostalgic even to read about was he an only child or did he have adopted siblings to my knowledge he was an only child okay and he had a good routine it sounded like as a child with his parents like he had a little paper route and when the weather was bad his dad would help drive him around so like they did it together and he was in the boy scouts and like he was always described as very outgoing in high school. He participated in the glee club. He was in the school chorus. He was in the science club, which, by the way, I read that he got, I don't know if it was first or second place in science fair, but on a project about orchids. And I'm like, Bobby Jr., you get out of my life. But like, orchids, <laughs> cute. <laughs> like, I don't want to have anything in common with him. I know. Don't do that to me, Bobby. So... You're gay and you like flowers. No, those are my things. (laughs) (laughs) Stay in your own lane. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to catch a charge. So, um, Uh, oh my. (laughs) These activities continued through college, and Bobby earned not one, not two, but three advanced degrees. Oh, shit. So, So, very well educated. Yeah. Bobby got his bachelor's degree from the University of Denver. He got his master's degree from the University of Virginia in political science and got a law degree from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, all right, then. So, once Bobby had left his law degree, he started working with his dad at his father's partial firm, Davis, Murphy, and Bennett. Okay. From all accounts, Bobby seemed to grow up normally. He had... A loving family with the privilege of not only like extra exciting trips and bonding opportunities, but he had the ability to get a solid education that was far beyond what was expected at that time. So he definitely was more educated than most. I would say, yeah. And certainly had a prominent family. Like you would know that family. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So especially between the 40s and 60s, there was a lot of need, but also like a lot of regrowth. So you know, in reference to them being well off, I think that is well evidenced by the opportunities that he had as a child, but like also growing into adulthood. But something that I thought was fascinating was for his high school graduation. And I have to say high school, high school graduation. This kid was 18. Robert Lee Sr. gave him a house. I'm sorry, what? He gave him a house for his high school graduation present. Like, this man got a house, and this house is $167,000 on a lake in the 60s. Oh, come again? Uh-huh. $167,000? $167,000 for this kid's first house at 18 as on a, a lake. As a graduation gift. For high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, yes. So I don't have the exact date of his graduation, but I'm guessing like 1965 since he graduated from his undergrad in 1969. So like right. doing some math. So I did do an inflation calculator in case you were wondering. Oh, okay. Um, which you should be because with inflation accounting for that today, that home would be over $1.5 million oh. as a graduation gift from high school. And then... You do all of that for your kid to be nicknamed the fucking Atlanta Dahmer? Mm-hmm. Wow. I'd be pissed. But anyway, <laughs> to, to an 18... I don't know. I'm just, like, overwhelmed by that. That's I insane. demand a refund. <laughs> I would. <laughs> so, uh, he at least followed in the family footsteps and that he made a good career with the resources he had. But unfortunately, like we just said, his name and legacy did not come from any charity pro bono or extremely talented attorney-ing. No. No, not at all. So now, it should be mentioned that Bobby did have a background. During this time, at the University of Virginia, when Bobby was getting his master's degree, he did get arrested for public indecency. Okay. So now, like, Ali and I, we know that this could be a bunch of different things. Like, public indecency could be anything from, like, streaking in a park to, like, literally just peeing outside at night not far enough in the woods so it could be a variety of things i don't really want to give him the benefit of the doubt given everything we're going to learn but i do feel like i need to tell you that these records do seem to have been expunged so either he was put in some sort of alternative sentencing or he waited the appropriate amount of time and got them annulled off his record right so those were not on there afterwards but he did get them. So and if just, you know anything about criminal justice, you know that there's a bunch of different ways you can get the same charge. Yep, absolutely. Um, charges are kind of like the umbrella blanket, and then there's a whole bunch of different actions that fall underneath them. Right, and there's so. a lot of different subsections and all that fun stuff. Lots of different boxes that you check or don't check that mean different things. So, whatever. Just feel like I need to say that. So, in 1974... Just as Bobby got his law degree, he started working with his dad. He had his first related run-in with the law. Okay. Now, just for clarity's sake, I call Bobby Jr. Bobby, Bobby Jr., Robert Lee Bennett Jr. But if I'm ever referring to his dad, I will call him Robert Lee Bennett Sr. But mostly for, you know, our guy, I'll be calling him Bobby because that's what I saw. Okay. But just as a little, you know, for clarity's just call sake. Him daddy. You. Um <laughs> Well the daddy. Daddy. Yeah. I don't know. I could just say senior. That feel, that feels like very impossible. Poppy? Poppy. A poppy. Um anything? I don't know. What's something? Know. Papa. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I'm in a fucking mood tonight. It's I don't know, man. Sugar. You guys should see her on sugar. This is fun. My so, legs tap in. Whew. I'm just I'm just excited for Michael Bublé to defrost. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> There's something in the air. There's something in the air. It's the bottle caps and <laughs> some sleigh bells. I know. As I, eat, as I eat my nerds. I know. Okay. Um, so Bobby Jr. apparently aggressively kidnapped a male sex worker. What the fuck? According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution... He observed a quote-unquote plainclothes Atlanta officer who was working undercover to catch male hustlers on the 5th Street near Cypress Street, which I would like to say hustlers was in the quote-unquote from the 
journal at the time. I will be referring to them all as sex workers because I don't know any of those specifics, nor should I claim to. So, sure. Just as a heads up. However, um, obviously, this is not a male sex worker, as we just saw. It was an under police cut. An undercover police officer trying to catch other male sex workers, but it seems he was very good at that undercover and he was soon rescued. So he was unharmed, just roughly kidnapped, and other police officers intervened. He's okay. But um, it does seem that by the time the trial came around, the attorney got him a plea deal of simple assault and a fine of $75. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to emphasize that that was not simple assault and that $75 to a man who was a millionaire at the time um, wasn't really going to do a lot to deter someone. Just going to throw that out there. Like, uh, no, the whole idea of crime and punishment is deterrence to keep people from doing it or from doing it again. And this would not, it uh, does not seem effective. And we will see that it absolutely was not. So just throwing that out there. But um, we're going to move forward another two years to 1976. Okay. So Bobby found another guy that caught his eye. And, you know, it's the 70s. I can't imagine he is telling people that he is queer. So he is, you know, seeking this connection and or stimulation elsewhere. So all of his... All of his victims will be male sex workers in the Atlanta gay scene. Well, and then there's one in Tampa. We'll talk about him. So that's so upsetting. It's very upsetting. And it's really upsetting how long it took anybody to really care about this because people were so either afraid to come forward and put their name out there as one of the gay sex workers in this area at the time. But also because even when they did, we'll see like, you know, a simple assault and 75 bucks. Are you kidding? Like, I know this mm-hmm. case, it was an undercover police officer. But if he didn't have backup, that would have been a whole lot worse. Oh, absolutely. And he got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, $75. And I know that that's not nothing. But it's also not really something to a man who's got three degrees and his dad's a millionaire. And giving away like $1.5 million homes as gifts. Well, right. And see, and that's the thing that always gets me because... I absolutely believe in rehabilitation. I believe in people being given second chances, even third chances, you know, yeah. helping helping people be better, right? Get right. that. But, like, the fact that you're talking about him here right now yep. means... <laughs> that did not work. And that nickname is so unsettling. Oh, it's very unsettling, and it gets worse. That, it's like, how many... Ugh, it just, it makes me mad when you hear of, like, the slaps on the wrist that people got. Like, the fact that Dahmer... The actual Dahmer's, mm-hmm. like, one of his victims w- was returned back to him. Yep. Fucking mind-boggling. But anyway. Anyway. Absolutely. I won't tangent. <clears throat> I won't do it. Yeah. So, we're going to get to 1976. And like I said, another guy caught Bobby's eye. Ooh. I guess that this was a traveler. He was a man traveling from New York. Okay. And so mysterious and exciting and Is all of that. Is he transient or just... No, I think he was like just, a passerby. Like on a trip. Yeah. Okay. So... 
Bobby offered to buy him a drink. And I will say I found different reports and, you know, later on, I think it is possible that he was paying people to drink with him. That seems to be part of his MO. Mm -hmm. But I did find varying reports on this man. And some of them say that Bobby offered to pay the man to have a drink with him. Mm -hmm. And some say that Bobby offered to pay for a drink with the man. Okay, so like he'd pick up the tab, not paying him to drink with him. Right. Okay. So I'm not sure what actually happened in this instance. It does seem likely to me that he paid the man, but that's only because of what we see in his further crimes. Okay. Initially, I thought he might have just paid for the drink, but now I'm kind of a toss up. So just depending on where you look, that's what you'll find. But um, after they had this drink, they went to Bobby's car and... You know, they had some like sexy times. They were hanging out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after one drink, this guy was pretty tipsy. So after that, they go to that car and have sex, you know. Um, And then we go back to Bobby's home, the the $1.5 million home. Okay. Yeah. Um, Somewhere in between the sex in the car and getting home, this man panics for a reason we don't know. Um, steals Bobby's keys and then takes his car and it takes absolutely zero time for him to crash that car. Okay. Which to me says a very panicked man Mm -hmm. who's either so panicked he's not paying attention or so inebriated that he cannot. Right. And when the police saw him and like made sure he was okay, they responded to the call. He refused to cooperate and he did not want to say anything about what happened with Bobby. Okay, and they hadn't even made it to his home. Correct. Okay. So it seems like... Something happened in that car. Oh, yeah. And we have no idea. We will never know what happened in that car. Okay. But um, something that seems to be a common pattern here is that anybody in the area of Atlanta does not want to fuck with Bobby because his dad is so prominent. Okay. Like, his dad has so much influence and so much power that nobody wants to be the one to try to challenge that. It doesn't seem like anybody's been, quote unquote, made an example of for trying to. But I don't think anybody wants to be the example, sure. you know. <laughs> so this guy refuses to say anything. And again, he's a traveler, so I don't think he necessarily knows that. But right. He might not know the reputation, but right. But he I think you can kind of tell if you're going back to somebody's very expensive home. And I'm sure he didn't drive a shitbox either. Nope. That uh, you're probably messing with somebody, you mm-hmm. know. So. <laughs> At this time, the police handled this incident by convincing Bobby Jr. that it was probably just in his best interest to move. Oh? Yep. So he moves away from Pennsylvania. Okay. Yep. So don't... Sorry. Okay. So this man is in Pennsylvania. Okay. And then Bobby moves to Atlanta. Okay. So they say, hey, you're getting in trouble a lot here. Maybe you should just like... You're like hurting people. Like scram. But no one wants to do anything about it. Nope. <laughs> I like that little Lexus that came Shoot. out. Just like, get out. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Copyright, copyright, copyright. I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love you, Alexis. Okay. I love you so much. Um, Gotta go. So. Boop. So did Bobby Jr. He had to yeet out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, so he, he yeeted, did he? Straight to Atlanta. <laughs> All right. And this makes sense. I mean, it's where he went to law school. It's like he probably had some sense of like the community. Yeah, he was where familiar. He, was he probably had connections if he needed to work or whatever. Right. So like, I, I mean, honestly, I don't really blame him if the police are trying to like get you to leave town 
and you're getting into trouble, like it might be nice to have a fresh start. But like also at this point, his dad already publicly like basically stated that he couldn't stand him. Okay. Which is really sad. Dad. But also literally, I think his quote was, I put up with him because my wife loves him so much. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I tolerated your ass. Yeah. Oh, no. So I'd probably be eaten out of there too. Yeah. Um, but I don't really feel that bad for him. Okay. So <laughs> let's get to Atlanta. So, so we get to Atlanta and Bobby Jr. wasted no time getting settled in. Bobby got a new job at another law firm. He found his way to like all of, you know, his new spots. He found his little coffee shop. He got his new house, like found out where all of the either continued and or new gay scene, like gay hookup scenes were in Atlanta at the time. Mm-hmm. He like literally wasted no time. So the first was in Piedmont Park. And Piedmont Park was one of those hot spots where Bobby met his first Atlanta victim, James Crow. Bobby told James that he would pay him $50 for every shot that he took. Oh, shit. Yes. So James started to feel tipsy and kind of weird after his first shot. So Bobby drove them to a secluded area where they could, you know, uh, play around a little, if you will. Okay, so he's totally just drugging these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I could not find what injuries Crow received from this incident, he did get away and, like the traveler from New York before him, refused to go to the police. They must have been threatened. Yes. And Crow wouldn't even get medical attention, which in part was due to the fact that Crow said he didn't want his family to know he was quote unquote hustling, but also because he did not have a good rapport with local doctors. Okay. And now I don't know anything specific about James. You know, I don't know any of the bad experiences that he might have had or if, you know, there was maybe a cultural distrust there. I'm not sure. But I just wanted to throw that out there that, like, the people that are supposed to be helping already have a bad reputation with this subset of victims. I cannot imagine that any of this helped that rapport. You know what I mean? Of course. So I'm just grateful that after all of this time, there's been some reprieve. But truly one of the hardest parts of this is just the sheer lack of support that this community of victims has at all. Which, you know, is pretty common for some of the older cases that we've seen with like, quote unquote, street cleaner type killers. Missionary. Right. Where they have a specific reason or a population that they want to kill for Whatever their reasons may be. Yeah, the whole less dead sex worker thing, right? The idea yes. that their life isn't doesn't mean enough or as much as somebody else's, no one will care. Right. All horrific or like, things. No one will notice that kind of thing. Yeah, same with the homeless population. Yeah, and that leaves a lot of really vulnerable people up to even more vulnerability because, you know, they're not entirely wrong. It's not that they're less dead or less important, but it is harder to keep track of transient folks. And especially when you're participating in crimes, you're a lot less likely to report victimizations because you don't want yours to be the reason that, you know, you might get in trouble with the law or someone that you love gets in trouble with the law. Yeah, your whole goal is to stay away from the police. So you're not voluntarily walking up to them. Right. So it's just really sad that, you know, that is something that really kept these people from coming forward because as we will learn, this man is a fucking monster. So... 
the fact that a police officer was in that car and was like, okay, that baffles my mind. Mm -hmm. That makes me so angry for all of the people that could have been potentially saved, Mm -hmm. you know? But anyway, so it's around this time where 1976 in Atlanta that Bobby got his nickname of the handcuff man. And this is because officials believe that Bobby Jr.'s ruse was to convince people that he was doing research on the effects of alcohol. And so he would meet queer men in the local sex work scene and he would get them to drink vodka. Obviously, this vodka was spiked. And so after the first shot, um, you know, they'd be pretty much fucked. And then when they would come to... He would be handcuffed. Sometimes he would be, like, sexually assaulted. Uh, The victims, not Bobby. And then, frequently, um, Bobby Jr. would burn people. What? Yeah. Uh, Just, like, burn different parts of them, put cigarettes out on them. Like with a match? Like a lighter? Um, No, like with uh, flammable liquids and, like, big fires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's horrific. Oh, it's awful. Could you imagine, like... At what point does the terror begin when you take that shot and you feel, I don't know, like the warmth in your chest, right? Like we've all had right. that. But then like, at, what po- at what point does that cross over to like, okay, I'm really not feeling, I'm really not feeling okay. What the fuck? And then what, you go dizzy and out? Suddenly you're woken up with like burns all over you, handcuffed yeah. in a place you don't know. With a man that you have no idea who you were just anticipating, okay, this is a, a client and this will be an hour. Right. Or like... Okay, this guy wants to pay me 50 bucks to see how drunk I get. Sick. He's got money and he's got a kink. And I need money and I can drink. So, hey, that rhymed. Hey. Um, but, like, at, at what point are you concerned? And then when does that concern turn to terror? Yes. And also, like, for me, a lot of the question is, what was he getting out of this? Because for so many of them, they woke up with injuries. So it's not like it was sadism where he was looking to see their to reaction. Inflict, yeah. And that is hard for me to grasp because it, obviously it's not easy to hear about this in any circumstance, but mm-hmm. at least there's more logical sense when it's like, okay, this person wants to see people terrified or this person gets off on like, I don't know. We understand um, that paraphilia a little bit more. Right. Or like even just, I want them to be unconscious the whole time or I want them to be awake and terrified the whole time. And this, he gets both and I don't get it. And there's it, something that doesn't click for me and is it along the lines of like necrophilia right where okay right. they're dead and then you do that or but they look dead you know what i mean like if they're dropped yeah. out to the point where they're unconscious is that what you're going for because sometimes Ugh. it's just the infliction of the pain it's actually seeing that in their faces that's their motivation behind it right and that's not happening no there's i mean you can't react you're unconscious so like just confusing uncomfortable and crow i've luckily that first victim mm-hmm. in atlanta he is okay and so he had actually returned to piedmont park which i was like could not be me so brave but like um he went with a couple of his friends this time and when he actually ended up pointing out bobby's van one of the other sex workers said oh he's the handcuff man Oh, my God. They knew about him. Like, he had a reputation already. And this is just our first known victim in Atlanta. And he's just moved there. Right. Wow. Terrifying. So let's go back to Bobby. At this time, his life is going well, technically. Uh, He was living in Atlanta and he was working at a law firm. In 1978, he proposed to a woman named Sandra Powell. 
mm-hmm. which seems a little out of left field based off of what we know about his preferences, but I get it. It was the 70s. That wasn't easy. So they met at work. Sandra worked at the same law firm that he did. So she's also an attorney. I'm not sure if she was an attorney or support staff. Okay. But I do know that she had to be making enough money so that after they got married, he could quit his job and live off of her income while she cooked and cleaned. Per her testimony in their divorce court. But who cooked and cleaned? Sandra, his wife. So, so they, they... So he quit his yeah. job? They got married. Yeah. He's an attorney. She works at the same law firm either as an attorney or a support staff. Mm-hmm. Then he quits mm-hmm. and relies on her to cook, clean the house, and make all the money. <laughs> what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a fan of this dude. I know, as if I'm surprised. Like, he makes other mm-hmm. questionable life yeah. decisions. Yeah, all right. Uh, just straight up immoral. Life yeah. De- <laughs> like, life decisions, but... You mean he's a jerk? Yeah. Oh he's a rotten, no good, cotton-headed any muggins. I said it. All right. Yeah, I Tis did. Tis the season. So, um, it takes some time, you know, to build up even a bad marriage. So, it took a little while before we got to the next crime that okay. we see. So the next known victim of Bobby's was in the winter of 1982. I assume this was in the early winter months because later we hear about September. So uh, chronologically, that makes me think this was probably in January or February. Mm -hmm. But Bobby's next victim, I I don't know this man's name. It was really hard to find names. And this kind of goes along with that territory of like transient and victim bases that want their identity a little less known so mm-hmm. i'm gonna respect that i didn't go super out of my way i did look just to like make sure i wasn't missing anything but i did not see anything on this man's name but he says that he was paid to have some drinks and then when he came to he had two new cigarette burns and was only wearing his pants mm. and the cigarette burns one was on his arm and one was on his stomach and that's going to leave a scar. I mean, he's not yeah. going to ever not have that. Nope. And I just feel like what kind of terror do you have to go through to wake up with marks like that? I mean, I you're going to know they're from a cigarette. It's like the exact same size, like consistency. Sure. But what kind of terror do you go through not knowing what you went through? Mm-hmm. That's the other part of it is like so many of these people. Yes, they have terror. They have so many things that they do have to deal with. But what does that part of not knowing do to your psych? Yeah, and how much worse are you making it for yourself with not, like, wondering what happened to you? Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess this speaks more to the age that we live in now, maybe not the 70s, obviously, but, like, what content is there out there of you, right? Like, there's a lot of stories of people being drugged and then videotaped or photographed or whatever, and then that gets, just you know, dispersed in a way that you obviously cannot and would not have consented to. Or sometimes even know about, like... What was it? The girl at Vanderbilt early 2000s, maybe 2010s, who was assaulted and she found out because the video went around to her friends. Ugh. It was awful. Anyway. Yeah. Just a lot of things you consider when you're unconscious with that, you know? Ugh. Yeah. So I don't even want to know. I, I don't. I'm glad I don't have to know. I have that privilege. But. Sure. I feel so much. I My anxiety would drive that through the roof. So then we get to September. And Bobby is arrested this time. He's arrested for the robbery and murder of James Lee Johnson. Okay. Charged 
I don't think so, but he's arrested for it. Okay. So Bobby's next victim, uh, James Lee Johnson, at this trial, we don't know what happened to him. I don't know if James Lee Johnson is this man from 1982 from that winter. Um, I can't find anything on him other than that Bobby was arrested and that there was a trial. Okay. I don't think that he was either found guilty or I think he wasn't found guilty of the extent of that because we hear about him a few months later so he obviously wasn't incarcerated for a very long time or if it was it was deferred or something right so very frustrated but actually this is kind of important because in this case three other men in that you know the gay sex work scene in atlanta identify him as the handcuff man in that trial so it's on record okay so luckily some people step right. forward which is so, terrifying for them that they have to put their names out there and what yeah. they do i mean they put themselves at risk there are probably things that they didn't want their family to be aware of that now have to be made away you know it all of that comes to light and for what at this point for this bitch to literally get away with this for him and to, to just keep doing it apparently i will say the i o- see you have multiple pages left so oh, i know God, this yeah. isn't ending soon nope um, and so I will say the one thing that also came out of this case, other than just having a documented history of people identifying him this way, mm-hmm. is that it was right at the same time that his wife started the divorce process. And so this kind of worked in her favor. People were like, oh, shit, there are some shady things happening here. Mm-hmm. So like, OK, girl, you do you. She's like, like, I got to skirt right on out of here. And luckily, I think, you know, the 80s, 90s, early thousands, that was kind of a pivotal point for cultural views on divorce. But like, I'm glad that this kind of came out at the same time. So she hopefully didn't have a lot of that backlash. Like she could be like, look at this piece of shit. He literally abuses people and murdered them. And (laughs) yeah, so yeah, her that back's going to be killing from carrying the weight of that marriage. It's I like, know she cooks, she cleans, she works and he does what hurts people. Yeah. But um, like, get her a massage. Damn. You know, he, he, his dad got him a cool house once. So that's nice. Just to get him away. Probably only because his wife loved him. Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, that's got to be hard. What was the quote? It, I have it here. His dad had said, he is my cross to bear. My wife loves him dearly, and I love my wife, so that's the only reason I put up with him. Oh, was I the hope, direct quote. I hope that's, like, after all is said and done and not, like, during his childhood or something like that. I mean, it sounds oh, like, by all intents and purposes, they had a good relationship. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably up until the point where he started drugging people and sexually assaulting them. It was probably a great time. Yeah. September ended that whole murder trial. Obviously, I don't think he was charged and or if he was, it was deferred, which I don't think that you could get charged with murder or even manslaughter and still have a deferred sentence. But um, that's why I think he probably wasn't charged. But this did come out in September. Mm -hmm. So in early 1983, (laughs) clearly, if anything did happen, it was not very long because it was 1983. He was banned from another local gay scene. Um, It was a bar or a restaurant called The Gallus. Mm -hmm. And this was followed by two very close calls, one in which a young man asked to be released before the spiked vodka was drank. So, like, he basically said that Bobby Jr. found him, did the whole I'll pay you to drink thing. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, "Mm, no, this feels weird. I'm going to get out. And Bobby let him go untouched. Okay. Which is kind of wild. 
And then another one, and this literally makes my heart like drop to my butt. Like it's ridiculous. Um, he had the spiked vodka, felt that something was off and noticed that the lock mechanism was taken off the car and that the handle was duct taped. So he could not oh use it. Oh my God. That like, uh, like that. I cannot imagine looking down at a passenger seat door and seeing no handle. Like I would, I would die. Like I'd probably have a heart attack. And you I would know combust. that sheer, you know, the, the level of panic where it almost feels like ice it goes yes. through your chest like it like starts there and yep. then it like moves throughout how Ugh. oh my god how do you and imagine that oh. after being like after drinking with this man and being paid to drink his vodka yes like i don't know if this is just growing up as a woman or like someone who's vulnerable and taught to like look out for stuff like that but that would be like red flag fucking city of like Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's your vodka. All right. That you brought. That's why if I'm ever at a club, like, I will never get a drink. I will only do shots because I want to see that bartender pour it from the same bottle that he's pouring from everyone else, you know? Yep. Um, so this this whole, like, fuck. Like, never okay, let this. anybody else get it for you. Like, yep. if I ever get up or my friends ever leave to, like, run to the bathroom or anything, like, my eyes do not leave their drinks. Like, no one's coming by. No one's touching them. No. Yep. You can wait. You can get her like a new one. We're not doing that. You're not refilling that. You're not doing whatever. I want to watch you make it. It's worth the $14 to pay for an overpriced drink to not like get roofied or die. Mm-hmm. So, And it's worth being called maybe a bitch or a little like rough around the edges when you're right. protecting yourself and protecting the people you care about. Um, but also I did find two cool things. One, there's like the scrunchy thing now that you can cover that. your drink with, I which I love. That. It has like a whole first straw so you can still drink it. Um, and then the other one is I saw nail polish that changes color and it only changes colors when reacting to known roofied, like roofies, which is cool. Um, but I don't know how well that works or if it's been tested, but I've heard of both of those things. So that's I'm fun. sure there's so many things out there that you can do. Yeah. That's so cool. Anyway. So this man was able to escape only by climbing through the car window. And having the wherewithal and the strength to do that, probably fighting through whatever drugs are in his system. And then he forced himself to vomit. Good for him. I know. It was wow. amazing. And also, like, I, like, I'm still, like, I get chills thinking about having to be in that situation oh, at all. I just want to hug him. I know. He deserves, like, a hug and a oh. warm blanket and a cup of tea. Yeah. And, like, a, and, like, a little movie. cottage. Yeah. And, like, the heat on and the cozy socks. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm frequently cold. <laughs> All of like, that was me, just like, let I me just swaddle you. Okay. So that same year, 1985, Bobby was at it again. <laughs> what a dick. He approached a sex worker named Max Schrader, and Bobby asked him if he wanted a drink of vodka. And Max drank from the bottle, and Bennett... Bobby said that it was just vodka with like a little Coke mixed in it. Mm, okay. Uh, I'm guessing he didn't mean like Coca-Cola. Um, no, I think he did mean Coca-Cola. I think he was not being honest about that. Oh, he didn't. But I thought he would have been like Coke. Like, no. <laughs> so Max drank it and he said almost instantly he knew the vodka had been spiked with something. Um, and he could not defend himself. So Bobby then drove Max to a secluded area where he mm. took Max's clothes off, 
doused his, and this is really bad, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning, doused his legs and genitals with flammable liquid and set him on fire before driving off. Oh, my God. Nearby people heard Schrader's screams, and that's how the police were called. So he leaves, like, he drives him to this secluded place, Mm -hmm. removes him from the car, does this, lights him on fire, and takes off. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he leaves him behind. Mm Mm-hmm. Alone mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. On fire. On fire. Oh my. With no clothes. Oh my good God. Drugged. And the only reason that anybody found him was because he was screaming. So that oh my basically God, means nightmare. that he was in enough pain and or was fighting the drugs or was not drugged enough to be unconscious to the point where he could scream and then he was making himself scream loud enough. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's not good. It's all really bad. So then there's another account of victimization. And this is two men still in the gay sex work scene. But the details are so confusing. I didn't want to include a whole lot about it because there wasn't a ton that I could find a consensus on. But I know that there were two more victims and that they both seemed to get away. It sounded like both men involved were drugged and mugged, which I liked the rhyme of, but obviously not the crime. Um, Oh. But I can't the say. The rhyme in the crime. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was that a dad joke? Did you do that? Yeah, on a little bit. Um, oh. I mean, they were drugged and mugged. That's a rhyme, rhyme with a crime. Yeah. I know it's bad, but I can't help it. So I can't say with any certainty like what happened because both of them were so drugged, and I don't know about any of the witnesses or anything. I mm-hmm. just heard so many conflicting accounts. I didn't want to like fuck one of them out there and like right. throw out one of the pasta monsters. I'm sorry. Now, <laughs> uh, come again. Creepy pasta. Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. I've never listened to it or seen it or know it. I've heard the term. I thought it was in reference to like crimes that were made up just to be spooky. So, oh. but anyway, I know this wasn't made up because there were enough accounts of it. They just all differed. So. I'm glad they're both alive, obviously, but there were so many different accounts. I just didn't feel comfortable throwing one out there. Right. The only things that seemed consistent were that they were both drugged and that they were both robbed. Mm. Like their clothes were in his car and they were not able to get them back. Mm. So terrifying. It is. And also I'll say this too, like for anybody in local sex work, especially in the 70s and the 80s when it is dangerous and it's like you're probably not making a shitload of money. You know what I mean? That would probably be just as devastating as a blow to their like quality of life mm-hmm. um, as getting their house like robbed and broken into. Sure. Because it's going to be a lot of what they own. So, like, Well, and especially like say it's the last one of the night or something. Right. Your earnings for the night that you have on you. Okay. This is probably how you're going to eat tomorrow or do right. whatever. Or this is how you're going to pay for the room tomorrow. Or whatever that is. Now that's just stolen from you as well as you've been traumatized now. Yeah. So love that. No, we don't. But um, definitely just really sad. I'm glad they're alive. Mm-hmm. Yay. And I will say this. I like that he seemed to be a kind of a toss up on whether or not he would brutally murder people or just let them go. So, so far, is there only one person that he's murdered? Um, He was there was that charge for the murder right. of james johnson james and then 
obviously, I would say the attempted murder of Max Schrader for being lit on fire. And the only reason he was saved was other people. Because other people found him. Sure. Right. And again, I'm going to say known for all of these victims because of his first victim in Atlanta, he already had a reputation as the handcuff man. Right. Fuck no, that is not his first victim there. And what a haunting Nick. Oh, I know. So come 1991, a few incidents happen that are really important for the end of this reign of terror, if you will. Um, First and foremost, this is the first time I heard in any of the reports about Annabelle's failing health. His mother, Annabelle, was a paraplegic by this time. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, goodness. But I do know that he would split his time in between Tampa and Atlanta. So he would go down to Tampa, Florida, take care of his mom. So the parents had relocated. At least she had. I don't know if uh, Robert Lee Bennett Sr. had as well. Okay. But I know that she was down there. And I will say, like, I think it's probable that he was not there either you know he passed or was just not living there with her at the time Mm -hmm. because it seemed like they had kind of a tense relationship after all of that and it sounded like bobby kind of frequented right this trip she might not need right him there as much if the husband was there right so gotcha um that is the first one and i feel like that whole mix of Going down to Florida to be with his mom is just such like a gut wrenching dichotomy between what happens to his next victim, Mm. who is Gary Clapp. And Gary Clapp went through an awful, awful, awful thing. I'm grateful that more people weren't hurt, but it's terrible that this man had to go through what he did to get that ball rolling. You are setting this up that I'm going to be upset. Yeah, yeah. Um, We probably shouldn't have eaten dinner before this. Sorry. Oh, fuck. So Gary was a man who was down on his luck. He was waiting outside of the Tampa Salvation Army waiting for free dinner in the middle of the day when Bobby came up and asked if he wanted to play the drinking game. And Gary, who's sitting in line all day waiting for free dinner, said, yeah, I'll take 50 bucks to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, and of course, this shot is like with all of the rest of them, very spiked. So fast forward some time and a Tampa police officer gets called into something burning. Initially, he thinks it's a bonfire, but, uh, upon further inspection, he finds that it is actually Gary Clapp. Um, his entire body is soaked in the lighting fuel i don't know if that was gasoline or like some other some other flammable yeah flammable but his entire body was doused his entire body was set on fire and nobody thought he would live it was a miracle that he lived at all he did live but um he did have to get both of his legs amputated Mm. and he was in so gosh he was just like in so much pain and i don't think he even know what knows what happened to him Like, his memory, as far as I know, is, like, almost nothing. I think he, like, woke up on fire. Oh, God. Where was he? Inside? Outside? Outside. So, it was was another secluded area. I would say probably the same MO as the Max Schrader Mm -hmm. thing. But, um, absolutely terrifying. What do you do with that? Like, one day I'm having a drink outside of a Salvation Army, and the next day I'm literally on fire? Mm Mm-hmm. What? With life-altering injuries and... Yeah. I mean, it's very rare for people to survive, like, total body burns. 
it is insane. The risk of that infection that man is lived. like. And so, of course, like with any burn victim, you have to do like skin grafts. There's so much to do to the surviving. And I say surviving limbs, like the limbs that are still functional and can work. Not the limbs that were not hurt. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, his entire body is in pain. Right. He had to get his legs amputated. Like, he had no function left. They were so burned. Right. And that, like, that pits my stomach. I. Yeah. Gary Clapp, that one makes me think. Because that just makes me so sad. Like, this was a man who literally thought he was going to get some help. Like, he was waiting for dinner. Was he a sex worker? Nope. Just a man down on his luck outside of a Salvation Army. So this, to my knowledge, is the only victim that broke that victimology. Okay. Um, And I don't know if that was just out of convenience because he was in Tampa and, hey, this guy's in Tampa too. Mm-hmm. Or what? But and this is as he's down visiting his mom. Yep. To take care of his paraplegic mother. All right. Super freaking great guy. So... um. He goes back to Atlanta and Gary obviously needed a lot of time to recover. It took days, weeks, I'm assuming months before he could fuck like walk again. I don't know Mm -hmm. about talking. Like I really have no idea. But um, by the time he was able to talk, he did identify Bobby Jr. in like a lineup, not like a physical lineup, but I think it was like a photo lineup. Sure. But by that time, he had already like gone back to Atlanta Okay. So in Atlanta, right at the same time in May of 1991, Michael Jordan Jr., um, another local sex worker, was asked to take part in the drinking game. You know, I'll give you money and take some shots. I want to see how it affects people. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And like he does, if you look him up, like he looks put together. He looks like an attorney. Like he's tall. He's got a suit on in every photo I saw of him. He's got like glasses. Seems well kept. Like I'd probably believe him. If it was me, like, I'm not even going to lie to you. Other than the fact that I'm, like, paranoid and a true crime fanatic, so I wouldn't take drinks from strangers. Um, Like, I'd probably believe that that's what he was doing, even if I didn't take part in it. So, just kind of stressful. But Michael Jordan Jr. um, was asked to take part in this game. And when he woke up, he couldn't remember anything. Much less that Atlanta police found his naked body dumped behind a hotel. And that the burns on his genitals, butt, and legs had been caused during that time. And in fact, he was in so much pain and needed so much medical attention that he also couldn't be interviewed for days due to the recovery time needed. Isn't that fucking awful? Like, all of these people, even if they're being found alive, are so injured they can't even be questioned. He looks like a sadistic Bill Nye. Yes. That's a really good description. Thank yes, you. he does. We'll um, post pictures of him, you guys. But yeah, yikes. no, he's given me like I'm doing an experiment. Yeah. He gives me. OK. <laughs> Sorry about this. Um, <laughs> have you, I feel like I'm going to reveal some things about myself here. Um, I liked easy. I liked Pretty Little Liars when it was first coming out, like that first I, a series i think they're on the, like three more now but the never, first time never saw a single episode one of them one of the season finales or fucking whatever i don't know what it was mm-hmm. um they get kidnapped and they're all put in rooms separate from each other and mm-hmm. they have this thing where they have to press a button and administer pain to one of their other friends mm-hmm. 
or they all get the pain. Mm-hmm. So like that's like psychological terrorism. Basically, yeah. There's such a cool study on that. Yes, but they didn't actually hurt any of them. They just like played sounds of them all screaming for them. Oh, so yeah, they all believed that they were hurting the them. So yeah, okay. So Pretty Little Liars copied that, but um, it was awful. Because to me, that seems like exactly the kind of thing he'd do. And he'd like legit do it. Like he'd be like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's see. Yep. Like that's like, like for fundies. That's the vibe he gives off. Yeah. The study was something like someone would be told like, hey, you need to hit this button. Mm-hmm. It's going to, you know, the wattage is going to go up each time. Yes. And then people would just do it blindly. And right. again, and again, and, and again, again, and like the screams would get louder and louder. And then at one point they have the screams like they can't scream anymore. Like right. they're like, there's no response. And so the guy just goes like, hit the button again. And some of them would just do it. Like they yeah. just, they couldn't see the person they're hurting or that they're, you know, believing that they're hurting. And so they're just unaffected. Right. They just, you tell me to push the button. I'm getting a reward for this. Push, push, push. And others were like, fuck no. Terrified. Like by the third time they're like, yeah, they're fuck like, oh that. my God, are, are they okay? What's going on? And the guy who's instructing it is just like push the button when i say so yeah and, th- and then you That's just decide it. that there's no conversation there's no pleading there's no nothing well and so we did talk about that in psych a lot but like i think this whatever the pretty little liars version was like electric chair kind of vibes. sure but yeah, like yeah. fucking nuts no and the fact that he's probably sitting there doing this and just being like well let's turn that up a bit yeah well let's do a little more he'd probably be the guy being like okay you want me to they stopped screaming but i'll keep pressing you want me to mm-hmm. <laughs> no seriously fuck so oh creepy bill nye fuck you i know so also in may of 1991 another man was picked up here's the Dahmer glasses fuck. all right i'm done i'm done um so another man was picked up in may of 1991 and he realized who it was before he took more drinks which is awesome like mm-hmm. he was like oh fuck I've you're the about, guy everybody's talking about, about yeah you're scary as shit so he forced himself to throw up too okay good it was okay so yay for that um and it was good because right after this michael jordan jr was finally able to talk and like ready to talk about that experience okay and he's the one that was found where he was the one that was found naked and abandoned behind a hotel with the burns on his genitals butt and legs okay barely alive barely alive okay yep mm-hmm um, not though Gary Clapp, who was entirely set on fire, like a bonfire. So in the photo lineup, Michael was able to point out Bobby Bennett Jr.'s photo and Max Schrader, that first guy who was driven out to the secluded mm-hmm. area and the neighbors found him. Mm-hmm. He was able to identify the same photo in the lineup after oh, five years. So they God. were like, okay, that's enough. We're taking this guy mm-hmm. because... Also, we have this history of like police run-ins and the other court case where people identified him as the handcuff man. And now we have a guy after five years talking about it. And we have another guy with the exact same MO saying this is the guy. Right. And I'm not sure if Gary Clapp was able to input at this time, but because he also was able to identify Bobby, that counted too. I'm pretty sure. Oh, geez. So finally... After like fucking, what is this? 1991 is where we're ending the killings right now. I think started we started in the 70s, them in, right? Yeah. What is that? 74? That's 15, 16 years. That's a lot of men years? that have been mutilated and killed and drugged. Horrible. By this man. So thank fuck 
that we are finally arresting him. This is the same timeline as Dahmer too. Honestly, yep. it was like happening at the same time. Yeah. And I think, and this is like, I did not read this anywhere. So this is my thoughts. I'm just putting this out there. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure this guy had a whole hell of a lot more victims that we know nothing about. And oh, we sure. know about a lot. Like the amount of people that are like, don't know their names, but there's two here. There's one there. There's one there. There's seven. Like, you know what I mean? There's just oh, of a course. lot. And he probably practiced on several. Oh, yeah. You don't get that far without any sort of progression. No. Like, you don't just, like, walk up to your first guy and be like, hey, do a study on drinking. You want to drink this roofied yeah, vodka? Yeah, you figure out how you talk to people and you yeah. cultivate however you're going to, you know, that plan. <sighs> it's just terrifying. And I also feel really bad for his short-lived, not lived as in, like, alive, but, like, his short-term wife. Brief marriage, yeah. Like, she was a victim in that, too. He did tell her he was impotent. So, I'm not sure if he really was or if he was just saying that because he wasn't, like, you know, into that V where he'd rather see a P. Um, but did he even have sex with any of them? Ah, it sounds like he definitely, I mean, it sounds like, like he was, like, uh, it was definitely for sexual gratification. But yeah. I don't know for sure um, because it doesn't sound like anyone was uh, awake for that long. Right. Um. I assume so, and if not through, like, sorry for this, but physical penetration through, like, some sort of external object, mm -hmm. probably, but um, I don't know for sure. So, Bobby was convicted. Oh, thank God. But don't get too excited, because I think if I saw that right, he only got about 17 years. That's it? Or that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, his defense team tried literally everything and of course he's an attorney he's uh like, he handpicked that defense team he probably aided yep. in his own defense he yeah yeah so he knows what the fuck he's doing and he still got convicted which to me says a lot it says a lot like <laughs> to have a lot of good defense attorneys mm -hmm. and to still be convicted like you have to be pretty fucking guilty if the shoe fits yeah um and there's no reasonable doubt that it's somebody else's like you're going. And I can't believe he only got 17 fucking years. That's terrible. But uh, apparently, and this does make me feel better, while in jail, Bobby complained about anything and everything from being denied meals to other prisoners attacking him for no reason <laughs> and wrongful imprisonment. Okay. Okay. And this also made me a little bit happy, but he paid so much in attorney fees, apparently, that his bills well exceeded $500,000. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. So, ultimately... No commissary for you, bitch. <laughs> bye. So, <laughs> ultimately, Bobby got a plea bargain that if he pled guilty in the attempted murder of Gary Clapp and two accounts of aggravated assault, they would let him serve 17 years. What about the rest of the victims? Yeah, exactly. What about... Nope. That was his plea deal. He plea dealed out of this. Okay. Um, and basically that Florida, he would have his concurrent, you know, sentence run with anything in Atlanta. And then Atlanta just said, mm, no, he's not going to serve any time for this. He oh. won't serve any additional time for his Atlanta crime. 17 years is enough. Oh. Yeah. So that's the story of fucking the handcuff man. But the exciting thing is, and I will say, like, I have to end this on a positive because this is just fucking bullshit. Like, this is awful. Yeah. And love you, Randall. But, like, I hope this is not the guy you were talking about because this fucking sucks. But this did spark, like, a big movement in 
at least Atlanta, to start talking about the actual relationship that police had with the queer community, but also sex work communities. Did it also focus on like the medical staff too and how I did not read anything there specifically, but I will take progress wherever they're going to fucking give it. So like, I am just glad that this had something come to light to help work on that Mm -hmm. relationship, bridge some gaps there. And, and it's just like heartbreaking, right? Because the, I don't know. I, I say like these people as in any of these vulnerable groups of people, whether that is, you know, like we talked about in previous episodes, people with disabilities mm-hmm. who are being victimized or sex workers or homeless communities or transient people like these vulnerable populations already have a hard enough time for a variety of reasons. Or with people with something to lose that they're afraid of, like right. being outed, like being like they're I don't know how they're how they make their money being known to like friends and family or whatever right. or, you know. Well, exactly that. And also, like, I don't know anybody who has a what I would call healthy relationship with their parents. It's like, hey, guess what I earned at like my sex work today? It was like 30 grand. Like, I don't think anybody wants their mom thinking of them like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can imagine not wanting your name thrown out there, even just testify in court like those three men did in that first one. Like, so brave. Because it was... It's horrible. It wasn't even hard enough to, I'm sure, come forward as, like, I do sex work for my living, but also, I'm queer in the 70s and the 80s doing sex work, which Mm -hmm. is, like, 80s is height of the AIDS epidemic. Mm Mm-hmm. And the panic. Yep. And... Where they think, like, you could make eye contact with someone gay, and it's like, oh, you're like, fuck, no. (laughs) But that, but that was what the hysteria was. I right. mean, we just covered the Salem witch trials where, like, you could literally count your fingers. And it was like, oh, my God, you're a witch. You should be burned alive. Yeah. And hanged and then pressed, apparently. And <laughs> you know what? And we're not that bad. We're not England. Like, <laughs> I know. We're not, like, that bad. We didn't, like, set you on fire in front of all the townspeople. We might have, like, drowned you. But that's, like, it. Ugh. Seriously, like, get over yourself. Um. So... sarcasm my god seriously guys heinous yeah it it is so no that was horrific um awful 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 guy but yay for at least some community relations coming out of it and i am so glad that so many of these victims stepped forward stepped forward and were brave enough to talk about that but also were able to like Mm -hmm. so many of these people had the ability to come forward even after like literally what should have been life ending mm-hmm. uh, crimes injuries like all of these things i just this literally like took away my entire appetite today i was not feeling well i don't it makes me so sad and i'm glad that we as a podcast can like raise awareness for for victim populations like this that you know might not get the attention they deserve sometimes. And I'm glad that we can learn from that and move forward Absolutely. in a way that is not gratifying to Bobby Jr. over here, the impotent little handcuff man. Gross. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving us that. That was horrible and in a good way. Awful. Yeah. And, and why we're here. Yep. I think it's time for some reprieve. We certainly need a reprieve today. Um, and so that reprieve... 
Yes. Is what we talked about. The moment you've all been waiting for. Yes. I don't know what accent that was. Sorry. I know. I have no <laughs> idea, but I was kind of rolling with it. I it's liked the it. Sugar. <laughs> it's the sugar. Hey, accent. sugar. Give me the news. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy. Sorry. Um, I'm telling you, I am in a mood today. Punchy. Um, so, in the spirit of giving, yes. as we were saying, hello, November. Yeah. Um, we want to do a giveaway. Hooray! A very long time ago, oh so long ago, over on our Instagram page, we did show you some t-shirts that we had made. And in the spirit of thanks. Yes. In the spirit of giving. Mm-hmm. In the spirit of giving thanks and thanksgiving. And thanking for giving and giving for thanking. I will get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to give away a t-shirt. So we want to do a t-shirt giveaway. Yes. Um, and one lucky winner will get one. And also a little note from us. Yes. So we were just super excited to announce this. So we want to tell you how you can enter that. And you can enter that over on our little Instagram page. And for every post of ours that you repost onto your story, and for every person that you tag in the comments of our posts, you will get an entry. And we will keep track of all of those. And we will select a winner. That will be announced on December 6th. And so you will receive a little direct message from us on Instagram that you have won. And we'll get your information and we'll send you a cute little package just in time for Christmas. And not that I think that anybody's going to be out there making fake accounts. But just so you know, it's ours. Our Instagram is about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So it's A-B-O-U-T period, T-I-M-E period, F-O-R period, T-R-U-E period, C-R-I-M-E period, P-O-D. So if that message comes from anybody else, it is not us. But if you get that message from us, hey, we're so excited for you. Yay. Um, and just know we're sending out all of the love to everybody whether or not you are the one person that gets that little t-shirt or not absolutely and we will be keeping track of that and we're just really excited we we're excited to be able to do more of things like this and we appreciate you all just telling a friend and helping us spread the word at this point you know we we work full-time we put our blood sweat and tears into this we spend lots of hours outside of work all of our free time long weekends doing our research, gathering up all of the materials that we're going to need, finding the time to actually sit down and do this, having these conversations, then the time to edit. All of these things take a lot of time. Um, all of that to say that it's just cool to be able to see it turn into something and for you guys to continue to tell people. We've told all the people that we know um, probably too many times at this point. Yeah. And so now we know that you guys have sort of just taken the reins and that's just super cool to us because there are people all over the globe that there's no way we could have talked to. Yeah. But we're just so over the moon that we're in countries listening. I can't pronounce. So hello, salutations. Um, bonjour. I don't know ni hao i like hello and thank you so much and we know that so much of that spread of you know our name sharing this podcast sharing the things you like and us being so flattered that we might be one of them we know that's from you guys and it's not from us anymore because we have like ellie said literally said too many times to the same people please hey. help please yeah, hey. <laughs> um 
And we're just, you know, we're so grateful for all of you. And we're glad that we have something to give back and that we can do that. And, you know, let us know if you want a t-shirt, even if it's not for free. Like, tell us because we'll throw them out there. We will absolutely start doing more merch stuff that is in the plans. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We've talked about it a lot. We sort of like dangled it in front of your faces a couple months back. Mm-hmm. But we promise that even though we haven't talked about it, it has not been absent from our minds that it is on the docket, so to speak, for us to get to. Um, but we really want to know what you guys want because we can make that happen. Yeah. You care about... Uh, I don't know, water bottles versus koozies, uh, t-shirts versus hats, sweatshirts. Do you like stickers? Oh my gosh, I love stickers. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Do you like stickers? Do you like stickers? Do you like pins? Uh, give us the whole nine. Like we will, we'll throw out whatever you guys are into because as much as we love our pod baby, we love our pod baby and we will rep it in whatever format you guys are also looking to rep it in. So I know like, are you a hoodie kind of person or are you a crew neck quarter zip kind of person? See, I'm always, I'm literally wearing a quarter quarter zip zip right now. Yeah. I'm a quarter zip all the way, but there is something nice. Like I like a big fat crew neck sweatshirt. Like a, as big as an XL as I can get down to my freaking knees. I like a good hoodie. And then I don't know, like, you know, like sleep in a hoodie. You ever put the hood on? I know it's so yes. weird. Like, you, no, it's so you must look absolutely disgusting. Right. Like, but it feels heavenly, but it's just a little hug. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's just so nice. Okay. I'll swaddle myself tonight. Like, or like you know, like we were talking about pod pets, right? Like yeah. oh, you have a little sweatshirt on a dog <laughs> with a little hood up. Are you fucking kidding me? Stop. I really want one of those sweatshirts that has like the little cat pouch in it. Guys, if we can make one of those with our logo on it, I, I promise you I will make that happen because I want it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but like To carry Newt around? Yeah, just a little spot for my Newt then. Aww. It could be like my little kangaroo pouch, buddy. Um, oh, he'd claw the shit out of you. Yeah. He's so cute. That t-shirt or sweatshirt or whatever it is would be torn to shreds, but I would love it so much. Because it would be like our yeah. little sweatshirt and i could do a podcast episode on me (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding um but no like seriously the autobiography we are so excited um do let us know and we hope you guys are excited too we're excited to be able to give back and you know that's something that ali and i are both really passionate about we want to enrich the community that's helping enrich us so whatever we can do we're sending our love don't be afraid to let us know send us a little message and again you guys we're always gonna say what our little socials are and things like that but you guys can just scroll a little bit down your little episode in the show notes and we always have it right there too because we know that listening to us you might not always have a way to just jot that down but you can always just look at that and copy and paste yeah um and you know if you wanted to email us if you wanted to send us some pictures of their uh, pod pets with their cute little Halloween costumes yeah. on. You can definitely do that. But Allie, where would they email us? So they would email us at about time, the number four <laughs> TC at Gmail. So okay. it's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E numeric four TC at gmail.com. Oh, TC like true crime? TC like true crime, babe. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. And I know I already said it, but just in case those of you are um, slacking, need it again. Our Instagram is about time for true crime pod with periods in between all of the words. A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D. And that's on Instagram. So you can see all of the faces and places that we're talking about. You can see all of the cute little pod pets. You can see our highlights. We have a reprieve section now for um 
I don't know, some lighthearted giggles. And lighthearted giggles, sigh of relief, wholesome. Uh, it should either make you laugh, smile, or... Happy tear. Or be like, oh my God, that's relatable. Yes. And we also have, of course, highlights for any of our victims that we talk about that either still have causes that their families are passionate about or like funds or um, ways that you can help support the families and support the ways that the families have chosen to honor their yeah honor their loved one and memorialize them in that way. So we will always, always, always when that's available, find it and put that out there for you. And we just love you guys so much. But, you know. We spend a lot of time with you, and if I look at my watch, I think that was oh, about time, time for true crime. crime. Bye. <laughs>